Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Experience the best in relaxation and entertainment with Saul Good Streaming at SaulGood.org. Our extensive library features hundreds of audiobooks, thousands of short stories, original podcasts, and popular sounds for sleep, meditation, and relaxation all ad-free. Whether you want to escape into a good book or fall asleep to your favorite ambient sound, we have something for everyone. Go to SaulGood.org to start streaming and discover your new go-to for entertainment and relaxation. That's S-O-L-G-O-O-D dot O-R-G. The Constitution of the State Section 1 Of the several conclusions deducible from the law of equal freedom, there are few more manifest or more generally agreed to than this, that all members of a community have like claims to political power. If every man has freedom to do all that he wills, provided he infringes not the equal freedom of any other man, then each is free to exercise the same authority in legislation as his fellows, and no individual or class can exercise greater authority than the rest without violating the law. Evidently, therefore, a purely democratic government is the only one which is morally admissible, is the only one that is not intrinsically criminal. As lately shown, no government can have any ethical authority. The highest form it can assume is that in which the moral law remains passive with regard to it, tolerates it, no longer protests against it. The first condition of that form is that citizenship shall be voluntary. The second, that it shall confer equal privileges. Section 2. It is a tolerably well-ascertained fact that men are still selfish, and that beings answering to this epithet will employ the power placed in their hands for their own advantage is self-evident. Directly or indirectly, either by hook or by crook, if not openly, then in secret, their private ends will be served. Granting the proposition that men are selfish, we cannot avoid the corollary that those who possess authority will, if permitted, use it for selfish purposes. Should anyone need facts and proof of this, he may find them at every page in the nearest volume of history. Under the head, Monarchy, he will read of insatiable cravings after more territory, of confiscations of the subject's property, of justice sold to the highest bidder, of continued debasements of coinage, and of a greediness which could even descend to share the gains of prostitutes. He will find feudalism exemplifying the same spirit by the cruelties inflicted upon serfs, by the right of private war, by the predatory incursions of borderers, by robberies practiced on Jews, and by the extortionate tribute wrung by burghers. All of them illustrations of that motto, so characteristic of the system, Thou shall want ere I want. 
does he seek like evidence in the conduct of later aristocracies? He may discover it in every state in Europe, in Spain, where the lands of nobles and clergy were long exempted from direct taxation, in Hungary, where, until lately, men of rank were free of all turnpikes and only the mercantile and working classes paid, in France, before the first revolution, where the tiers atat had to bear all the state's burdens, in Scotland, where less than two centuries ago it was the custom of lairds to kidnap the common people and export them as slaves, in Ireland, where at the rebellion a band of usurping landowners hunted and shot the Catholics as they would game for daring to claim their own. If more proofs are wanted that power will be made to serve the purposes of its possessors, English legislation can furnish many such. Take, for example, the significantly named Black Act, ninth of George I, which declares that anyone disguised and in possession of an offensive weapon, appearing in any warren or place where hares or conies have been, or shall be usually kept, and being thereof duly convicted, shall be adjudged guilty of felony, and shall suffer death, as in cases of felony, without benefit of clergy. Instance, again, the enclosure laws, by which commons were divided amongst the neighboring landowners in the ratios of their holdings, regardless of the claims of the poor cottagers. Notice also the maneuver by which the land tax has been kept stationary, or has even decreased, whilst other taxes have so enormously increased. Add to these the private monopolies, obtained from the king for a consideration, the perversion of the funds of public schools, the manufacture of places, and pensions. Nor is the disposition to use power for private ends less manifest in our own day. It shows itself in the assertion that an electoral system should give a preponderance to the landed interest. We see it in the legislation which relieves farmers from sundry assessed taxes that they may be enabled to pay more rent. It is palpably indicated in the game laws. The conduct of the squire, who gets his mansion rated at one-third of its value, bears witness to it. It appears in the law enabling a landlord to anticipate other creditors and to obtain his rent by immediate seizure of his tenant's property. We are often reminded of it by the often-mentioned legacy and probate duties. It is implied by the fact that whilst no one dreams of compensating the discharged workmen, gentlemen sinecurists must have their vested interests bought up if their offices are abolished. In the tracts of the Anti-Corn Law League, it received abundant illustration. It is seen in the votes of the 150 military and naval members of Parliament. And lastly, we find the self-seeking of those in authority creeps out, even in the doings of the right reverend fathers in God, forming the ecclesiastical commission who have appropriated for the embellishment of their own palaces funds entrusted to them for the benefit of the church. But it is needless to accumulate illustrations, though every historian the world has seen should be subpoenaed as a witness, 
the fact could not be rendered one whit more certain than it is already why ask whether those in power have sought their own advantage in preference to that of others with human nature as we know it they must have done so it is the same tendency in men to pursue gratification at the expense of their neighbors that renders government needful were we not selfish legislative restraint would be unnecessary evidently then the very existence of a state authority proves that irresponsible rulers will sacrifice the public good to their personal benefit all solemn promises specious professions and carefully arranged checks and safeguards notwithstanding if therefore class legislation is the inevitable consequence of class power there is no escape from the conclusion that the interest of the whole society can be secured only by giving power into the hands of the whole people section three against the position that to ensure justice to the nation at large all its members must be endowed with like powers it is indeed urged that as the working classes constitute the majority to endow all with like powers is practically to make the working classes supreme and it will probably be added that by virtue of the same self-seeking tendency just insisted upon legislation in their hands would inevitably be twisted to serve the ends of labor regardless of the claims of property of course those who raise this objection do not wish to insinuate that the people would use their power after the fashion of brigands although in the old norman day when the sacking and burning of towns by neighboring nobles was not unfrequent a change to popular rule involved retaliatory attacks upon the strongholds of these feudal buccaneers yet we may fairly conclude that the increased social morality which deters modern aristocracies from direct robbery of people would also prevent the people from inflicting any direct injury upon them the danger this objection points to the only danger to be rationally feared is that the same insensible bias by which our present rulers are swayed would lead the working classes to sacrifice the rights of the rich on the altar of their own desires would give rise to a code of laws favoring poverty at the expense of wealth even were there no answer to this the evidence would still preponderate in favor of popular enfranchisement for what at the utmost does the argument amount to just this that the few must continue to trespass against the many lest the many should trespass against the few the well-fed the luxuriously housed and clothed the placemen and pensioners may perhaps think it better that the masses should suffer for their benefit as they do than that they should suffer for the benefit of the masses as they might but would a just arbitrator say this would he not say on the contrary that even if their respective members were blessed with equal advantages the minority ought to be sacrificed rather than the majority but that as the most numerous are at the same time the least favored their claim becomes still more imperative surely if one of the two parties must submit to injustice it ought to be the rich hundreds and not the poor thousands the foregoing objection however is not so sound as it looks it is one thing for a comparatively small class to unite in the pursuit of a common advantage and it is another thing for a dispersed multitude to do so 
some thousands of individuals having identical interests, moving together in the same circle, brought up with like prejudices, educated in one creed, bound together by family ties, and meeting annually in the same city, may easily enough combine for the obtainment of a desired object. But for half a dozen millions of working men, distributed over a vast area, engaged in various occupations, belonging to different religious sects, and divided into two totally distinct bodies, the one imbued with the feelings and theories of town life, the other retaining all those prejudices of the past which yet linger in the country, for these to act with unanimity is scarcely possible. Their mass is too great, too incongruous, too scattered for effective combination. We have current proof of this. The Chartist agitation shows us men who, during the last twenty years, have gradually imbibed ideas of political freedom. Men who have been irritated by a sense of injustice. Men who have been slighted by their fellow citizens. Men who have been suffering daily privations. Men, therefore, who have had an accumulated stimulus to unite in obtaining what they feel themselves entitled to and what they see reason to believe would greatly benefit them. And how have they prospered in the attempt to carry their point? Disputes, division, apathy, adverse influences of every kind have joined to produce repeated failures. Now if, with the aid of that enthusiasm which a righteous cause always inspires, the masses have not attained to that unity of action needful for the accomplishment of their object, much less would they be able successfully to unite were the object a dishonest one. Section 4. Whoever demurs to the enfranchisement of the working men on the ground that they are immoral is bound to point out a constituency which is not immoral. When it is alleged that the venality of the people renders them unfit for the possession of votes, it is assumed that some class not chargeable with venality may be found. But no such class exists. Bring them all to trial, and not a single section of the community would obtain a verdict of not guilty. Were the shopkeepers put upon their examination, how would they excuse their trade practices? Is it moral to put potatoes and alum in bread, to add salt, tobacco, and colchicum to beer, to mix lard with butter, to manufacture milk in various known and unknown ways, to adulterate oils, chemicals, colors, wines, in short, everything capable of adulteration? Does the existence of inspectors of weights and measures indicate morality? Or is it honest to sell over-the-counter goods whose quality is inferior to that of the samples ticketed in the window? Did the manufacturers make any pretension to purity, they might have to encounter some awkward hints as to the practice of tearing up old rags into shoddy to be worked into cloth along with new wool. Disagreeable questions might be asked concerning the proportion of cotton woven into some fabrics pretended to be wholly of silk. The piracy of patterns, too, would be a delicate subject, and the practice of using gypsum to increase the weight of substance of paper could hardly be defended on the principles of the Decalogue. Not less discreditable would be the sentence deserved by the agriculturalists. In spite of the refining effects which poets ascribe to intercourse with nature, it is nevertheless 
an undoubted fact that the farmers in dorsetshire at least have been convicted of paying their labourers in damaged wheat charged at the full price a habit not altogether conscientious it is a matter of history too that before the enactment of the new poor law it was in many districts the custom to give farm servants but half wages the remainder being made up to them out of the poor rates over which their masters exercised the chief control and to these samples of morality the transactions of the cattle market and the horse fair would probably furnish fit companions neither in such scrutiny would the professions escape unscathed who can hear the word venality without straightway thinking of the law attorneys already stand in too bad repute to need their sins hinting at and even the gentlemen of the bar are not without reproach the attempt to make a known felon appear innocent denotes rather confused ideas of right and wrong then their habit of taking fees to plead in a cause which other engagements will not permit them to attend and keeping the pay although they do not perform the work scarcely implies that honesty deemed so requisite for the proper use of political power our members of parliament too were the gauntlet taken up on their behalf would come off but indifferently the arrangement which places them beyond the reach of their creditors is hardly consistent with the moral law nor does it imply the nicest sense of honor and then that disease of the representative system bribery ought the rich the escape all the odium attaching to it should all the disgrace fall upon the poor electors nor can those who move in titled circles boast of superior integrity in the trickeries of the turf and in the midnight scenes at gaming-houses the denizens of mayfair and belgravia play a sufficiently conspicuous part the hunting-tower bankruptcy was not the credit of the caste any more than are those acts of outlawry to which from time to time members of it are subjected and did the aristocracy possess strict notions of equity it is probable that a little more respect would be shown by them to the claims of their tradesmen than is indicated by their proverbially bad character as paymasters nay even our highest officers of state participate in the general contamination did not the Mazzini affair show some laxity of principle was it nothing as the westminster review put it to teach that theft is permissible when officials wish to steal information from a letter that lying is permissible if they desire to conceal the theft by resealing that letter that forgery is permissible for the purpose of counterfeiting seals and then our present ministers are they any better than their predecessors if so how shall we explain away the garbling of some of the West Indian despatches and the suppression of others? No, no, let not any one oppose the enfranchisement of the people on the score of their immorality, lest he be put to the blush by the exposure of his own offenses, or the offenses of his class. Let him that is guiltless cast the first stone. Vice, dishonesty, finality pervade all ranks and if political power must be denied to working men because they are corrupt it must be denied to all classes whatever for the same reason section five some indeed allege that the masses are more vicious than the rest of the community 
but those who express this opinion arrive at it very illogically. They glance at assize proceedings, read through the names and occupations in the calendar of prisoners, skim over statistics of crime, and because they meet with an immense preponderance of vagrants, farm servants, bricklayers, drovers, bargemen, porters, factory hands, and the like, they forthwith set down the peasant and artisan class as greatly inferior in moral character to every other class. They take no account of the fact that in number the laboring population is at least six times all the rest put together. They do not inquire whether, if the cases that appear in the police sheets of swindling advertisers, of false ticketing tradesmen, of embezzling clerks, of young gentlemen concerned in drunken sprees, attacks on the police, insults to women, and so on, were multiplied by six. They would not approach in number the other cases daily reported. Were this done, however, were the crimes committed by each class reduced to a percentage upon the size of that class, there would be found much less inequality than is commonly thought to exist. Moreover, it should be remembered that the immorality of the middle and upper ranks assumes a different guise from that worn by the vices of the poor. Men comparatively well off are not likely to be guilty of those grosser offenses seen amongst the lower orders, for their circumstances remove them almost beyond temptation to these. But the bad propensities may and do exist in full force notwithstanding, and enough of their workings may any day be seen in courts of law fraudulent bankruptcies actions for debt suits for the restitution of usurped rights quarrels about wills all these show the activity of passions which under other conditions might have produced acts technically called crimes men who by legal chicanery cheat others out of their property or who refuse to discharge the claims justly made upon them until forced by law are men who in a lower walk of life would have picked pockets or robbed hen-roosts. We must measure morality by motives, not by deeds, and if we thus estimate the characters of the trading and richer grades, taking into account also the consideration above adverted to, number, we shall find that the data on the strength of which we attribute a special immorality to the laboring classes are by no means sufficient. Section 6 it is a pity that those who speak disparagingly of the masses have not wisdom enough or candor enough to make due allowance for the unfavorable circumstances in which the masses are placed. Suppose that after carefully weighing the evidence it should turn out that the working men do exhibit greater vices than those more comfortably off, does it therefore follow that they are morally worse? Are the additional temptations under which they labor to be left out of the estimate shall as much be expected at their hands as from those born into a more fortunate position? Ought the same demands to be made upon the possessors of five talents as upon the possessors of ten? Surely the lot of the hard-handed laborer is pitiable enough without having harsh judgments passed upon him. To be wholly sacrificed to other men's happiness to be made a mere human tool, to have every faculty subordinated to the sole function of work. This, one would say, is alone a misfortune needing all sympathy for its mitigation. Consider well these endowments of his, 
these capacities, affections, tastes, and the vague yearnings to which they give birth. Think of him now with his caged-up desires, doomed to a daily, weekly, yearly round of painful toil, with scarcely any remission but for food and sleep. Observe how he is tantalized by the pleasures he sees his richer brethren partaking of, but from which he must be forever debarred. Note the humiliation he suffers from being looked down upon as of no account amongst men and then remember that he has nothing to look forward to but a monotonous continuance of this till death is this a solitary state of things to live under it is very easy for you o oh respectable citizen seated in your easy chair with your feet on the fender to hold forth on the misconduct of the people very easy for you to censure their extravagant and vicious habits very easy for you to be a pattern of frugality, of rectitude, of sobriety. What else should you be? Here you are surrounded by comforts, possessing multiplied sources of lawful happiness, with a reputation to maintain, an ambition to fulfill, and the prospect of a competency for your old age. A shame indeed it would be if with these advantages you were not well regulated in your behavior you have a cheerful home are warmly and cleanly clad and fare if not sumptuously every day at any rate abundantly for your hours of relaxation there are amusements a newspaper arrives regularly to satisfy your curiosity if your tastes are literary books may be had in plenty and there is a piano if you like music you can afford to entertain your friends and are entertained in return there are lectures and concerts and exhibitions accessible if you incline to them you may have a holiday when you choose to take one and can spare money for an annual trip to the seaside and enjoying all of these privileges you take credit to yourself for being a well-conducted man small praise to you for it if you do not contract dissipated habits where is the merit you have few incentives to do so it is no honor to you that you do not spend your savings in sensual gratification. You have pleasures enough without. But what would you do if placed in the position of the laborer? How would these virtues of yours stand in the wear and tear of poverty? Where would your prudence and self-denial be if you were deprived of all the hopes that now stimulate you, if you had no better prospect than that of the Dorsetshire farm servant with his seven shillings a week, or that of the perpetually straightened stocking weaver, or that of the mill hand with his periodical suspensions of work? Let us see you tied to an irksome employment from dawn till dusk, fed on the meager food, and scarcely enough of that, married to a factory girl ignorant of domestic management deprived of the enjoyments which education opens up with no place of recreation but the pothouse and then let us see whether you would be as steady as you are suppose your savings had to be made not as now out of surplus income but out of wages already insufficient for necessaries and then consider whether to be provident would be as easy as you at present find it conceive yourself one of a despised class contemptuously termed the great unwashed stigmatized as brutish stolid vicious suspected of harboring wicked designs excluded from the dignity of citizenship and then say whether the desire to be respectable would be as practically operative on you as now lastly 
imagine that seeing your capacities were but ordinary your education next to nothing and your competitors innumerable you despaired of ever attaining to a higher station and then think whether the incentives to perseverance and forethought would be as strong as your existing ones realize these circumstances o oh, comfortable citizen and then answer whether the reckless disorderly habits of the people are so inexcusable how offensive it is to hear some pert self-approving personage who thanks god that he is not as other men are passing harsh sentence on his poor hard-worked heavily burdened fellow-countrymen including them all in one sweeping condemnation because in their struggles for existence they do not maintain the same prim respectability as himself of all stupidities there are few greater and yet few in which we more doggedly persist than this of estimating other men's conduct by the standard of our own feelings there is no more mischievous absurdity than this judging of actions from the outside as they look to us instead of from the inside as they look to the actors nothing more irrational than to criticize deeds as though the doers of them had the same desires hopes fears and restraints with ourselves we cannot understand another's character except by abandoning our own identity and realizing to ourselves his frame of mind his want of knowledge his hardships temptations and discouragements and if the wealthier classes would do this before forming their opinions of the working man their verdicts would savor somewhat more of that charity which covereth a multitude of sins section seven after all it is a pitiful controversy this about the relative vices of rich and poor two schoolboys taunting each other with faults of which they were equally guilty would best parody it whilst indignant radicalism denounces the vile aristocrats these in their turn enlarge with horror on the brutality of the mob neither party sees its own sins neither party recognizes in the other itself in a different dress neither party can believe that it would do all the other does if placed in like circumstances yet a cool bystander finds nothing to choose between them knows that these class recriminations are but the inflammatory symptoms of a uniformly diffused immorality label men how you please with titles of upper and middle and lower you cannot prevent them being units of the same society acted upon by the same spirit of the age moulded after the same type of character the mechanical law that action and reaction are equal has its moral analogue the deed of one man to another tends ultimately to produce a like effect upon both be the deed good or bad do but put them in relationship and no division into caste no differences of wealth can prevent men from assimilating whoso is placed amongst the savage will in process of time get savage too let his companions be treacherous and he will become treacherous in self-defence surround him with the kind-hearted and he will soften amidst the refined he will acquire polish and the same influences which thus rapidly adapt the individual to his society ensure though by a slower process the general uniformity of a national character this is no unsupported theory look when or where we please thickly strewn proofs may be gathered 
the cruelties of the old roman rulers were fully paralleled by those over which the populace gloated in their arenas during the servile wars of the middle ages barons tortured rebels and rebels tortured barons with equally diabolical ferocity those massacres which took place a few years since in galicia covered with infamy both the people who committed them and the government who paid for them at per head the assam chiefs to whom the east india company have allowed compensation for abandoning their established right of plunder are neither better nor worse than the mass of the people amongst whom joint stock robbing companies are common a similar sameness is exhibited in russia where all are alike swindlers from the prince marshal who cheats the troops out of their rations the officers who rob the emperor of his stores the magistrates who require bribing before they will act the police who have secret treaties with the thieves the shopkeepers who boast of their successful trickeries down to the postmasters and rusky drivers with their endless impositions in ireland during the last century whilst the people had their faction fights and secret revenge societies duelling formed the amusement of the gentry and was carried to such a pitch that the barrister was bound to give satisfaction to the witness he had bullied or to the client who was dissatisfied with him and let us not forget how completely this unity of character is exhibited by the irish of to-day amongst whom orangemen and catholics display the same truculent bigotry amongst whom magistrates and people join in party riots and amongst whom the improvidence of the peasantry is only to be paralleled by that of the landlords our own history furnishes like illustrations in plenty the time when england swarmed with highwaymen and outlaws and when the populace had that sneaking kindness for a bold robber still shown in some parts of the continent was the time when kings also played the bandit when they cheated their creditors by debasing the coinage when they impressed laborers to build their palaces windsor castle for instance obliging them under pain of imprisonment to take the wages offered and when they seized and sold men's goods paying the owners less than a third of what the goods realized during the age of religious persecution papists martyred protestants and protestants martyred papists with equal cruelty and cavaliers and roundheads treated each other with the same rancor in the present day dishonesty shows itself not less in the falsification of dockyard accounts or the cooking of railway reports than in burglary or sheep-stealing whilst those who see heartlessness in the dealings of slop-tailors and their sweaters may also find it in the conduct of rich landlords who get double rent for poor allotment-holders and in that of respectable ladies who underpay half-starved seamstresses changes in tastes and amusements are similarly common to all the contrast between the squire westerns and their descendants has its analogy amongst the people as in spain a bullfight is still the favorite pastime of both the queen and her subjects so in england fifty years ago the cockpit and the prize ring were patronized alike by peer and pauper and a reference to the sporting papers will show that the lingering instincts of the savage are at this moment exhibited by about an equal percentage of all classes thus the alleged homogeneity of national character is abundantly exemplified and so long as the assimilating influences productive of it continue at work 
it is folly to suppose any one grade of a community can be morally different from the rest in whichever rank you see corruption be assured it equally pervades all ranks be assured it is the symptom of a bad social diathesis whilst the virus of depravity exists in one part of the body politic no other part can remain healthy with lucky landslots you can get lucky just about anywhere dearly beloved we are gathered here today to has anyone seen the bride and groom sorry sorry we're here we were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time no lucky land casino with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry in that case i pronounce you lucky Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Revolutionize your commute with SaulGoodBooks.com. Just $10 a month for endless ad-free listening. Turn your daily travel into an opportunity to explore fascinating audiobooks. Start your audio journey at SaulGoodBooks.com today.